everyone. Welcome to another amazing podcast, Late Night with Chefs. We have an awesome guest chef tonight, Chef Chris. How are you doing tonight, Chef? I'm doing all right. I'm actually on vacation right now, so y'all are catching me on vacation. Awesome. That's the best time. I hope you're uh, having a good time, relaxing, staying safe. Uh, how are you doing, Doug, this evening? Doing well tonight. Doing well. Trying to stay safe as well in the great state of Florida. Representing the FLA. Yes, exactly. All right. All right. You guys are already hitting it off. Got a connection. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, Chef Chris, I ask uh, all our guest chefs to uh, say hi to our viewers tuning in. Hey, guys. My name's uh, Chris Enfinger. I am a chef owner of a restaurant in Panama City, Florida called Bo's. It's a, uh, it's a meet and three. So, and I also have a little podcast on the side called my secret service. Awesome. So as we all get introduced, uh, we are very excited to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much for taking a little bit of your vacation time and sharing it with us. We are super excited to have you on the pod. Uh, and I'm super excited to hear your background story and, and what got you in cooking and, you know, what what fueled the fire and the passion. Yeah, if you can get yeah. us started there. So uh, I started cooking whenever I was 15 years old. Um, I was working at a Quiznos Subs. I guess you wouldn't call that cooking. I was warming up sandwiches in a conveyor oven at 15 years old. There you um, go. Yeah. Uh, they, actually, Quiznos calls their employees. I don't even know if they're still around. I haven't seen one in years, but. They call their employees sandwich artists, which is funny uh, that they're not artists. They're, they're minimum wage employees is what they are. Um, sandwich. But, yes. Yeah. Sandwich artists. But anyway, so I worked at Quiznos and then this new like sports bar was opening next door. And uh, I went over there and started line cooking, uh, working a fryer, um, you know, frying chicken wings, doing that thing. Um, I worked there for like through high school and um, seven days after I graduated high school, I moved to West Palm beach, Florida and went to, co I was initially going to go to Johnson and Wales. Um, I was going to go to culinary school regardless um, and went to Johnson and Wales. And it was like this giant university type experience, which I didn't really want. I partied a lot in high school. I did a lot of dumb shit in high school. Um, <laughs> So I got that out of my system and I was like, no, I have to, I have to like pay attention here. Uh, cause how, we're how dumb was the dumb it. shit. I'm just <laughs> in high school. I did a lot of dumb shit, man. Like we would go party. We would, uh, drinking bottles at 17 years old, 16 years old of captain Morgan's was a, was a normal thing for us. Is this like Florida high school? Gatorade and yeah, this is... on a school bus. No. So we used to make this drink called skip and go. And what it was, or pink panty droppers is another name for it, but we called it skip and go. And what it was, was uh, a 24 pack of natural light. Um, Natty light. There you go. Yeah, a 24 That's a high pack. school experience. You got to have, you got to have the orange Gatorade cooler, 24 of the beers poured into that, uh, a quart container of pink lemonade powder. Okay. <laughs> and then, uh, and a, entire bottle of 
um, like Everclear, like okay. rubbing alcohol essentially, and we'd mix that shit Skull. up and drink it. <laughs> yeah, and we'd drink that. So we did a and a lot of dumb stuff, like um, the Party X movie. That we've I've lived that life in high school. Um, <laughs> so college was college was like a serious experience for me. Yeah, I had a little bit of fun while I was there, but I went to culinary school full time at this place called Florida Culinary Institute. And then I worked on Palm Beach Island at this place called Cucina del Arte. So okay. it, was, it was a college was a totally different experience in high school. Did you yeah, have more think, pleasure taking, uh, you know, like the educational side of the cooking? And um, um, I think I was just so busy. I had to pay my own bills in college. Like I, I'm blessed that my college was paid for by my parents. I got lucky there. Um, but to live there, I had to pay. So I had to pay my own rent, power bill, insurance, pay for my own gas, cell phone, things, things of that nature I had to pay for. So I had to work all the time. I mean, Palm Beach, Florida is not a cheap place to live. Even, even when you live in the hood, like it's still not cheap. It, right. It's, it's still West Palm. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. uh, I think my apartment was like, I had a 400 square foot apartment that was like 900 bucks a month. So nice. Yeah, so it was quite expensive, and that was in 2006, so that was yeah. a while back. So the beginning of your, you know, culinary school career, I know me and Vlad experienced this as well when we were going to culinary school. Did you feel like a leg up on the other kids in culinary school, the fact that you were working and going to school at the same time? You know, you're able to sort of put all this knowledge to work. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, at least like when I went to culinary school, it was all about fine dining. No, no, like chefs weren't doing fast casual concepts. You know, they weren't doing the taco shops. They weren't doing the burger shops. Everyone had to have the nice restaurant and everyone was chasing JB awards and Michelin stars, you know? So it's like, I got lucky and got into one of those restaurants that was trying to do that. That was trying to get a James Reed award. So I was working with these high quality ingredients that definitely gave me a leg up. You know, it's like, oh, this pint, like in school, I, we could get pineapples or we could get whatever. And I'd be like, these are shit compared to what I'm using at work. You know, like the stuff I'm using at work is like, uh, this is Parmesan cheese. And you get this little, you know, like we're getting in the whole wheels, you know? Right, right. We're getting in like huge wheels of Grana Padana. And like, I'm like, oh, that's nothing. You know, I could break that down or whatever. Yeah. It definitely nothing, gives you a leg up. Nothing uh, tells that you've worked at a fine dining establishment, like uh, using Grana Padano, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. like what it's is like, Grana Padano? Right. And uh, you it's know. the cheese we use because we're tired of putting Parmesan on menus. That's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The Parmesan and the Pecorino's had, uh, run out. Chef yeah. Tango. Uh, he's doing a little, a um, little big, uh, He's doing fresh pastas to go in uh, Napa Valley area. And he seems to be killing it. Yeah, he's killing it. He's doing like squid ink stuff with. Uh, yeah, I follow with, him on social. Uh, local. Yeah, yeah he, he uh, works with local uh, forgers and uh, fisheries, gets like sea urchin and stuff and, you know, offers it. But, you know, we were having the same conversation. We were talking about Grana Padano. And like we were talking about uh, Cacio Pepe and like, would you use Grano Padano or Parm? So he said Grano Padano is too salty for his taste. I, I personally like it. I think it's less dry, more 
creamy. So, but that's that's definitely like you know when we're when we're talking amongst us and you throw grano padano, that's just like the norm, right? Yeah, so I mean, we I've standards. seen a shit ton of it back in the day. Yeah. I don't use any of that stuff now. I mean, I'm I make fried chicken. That's what I do. You know, like we make a shit ton of fried. We sell like. 600 pounds of fried chicken a week, you know, for a tiny 42 seat meat and three. That's a, that's a pretty good amount of weight. Right. Definitely. Yeah. So as you're, you know, going to culinary school and you're working at this fine dining place, were you working there the whole time you went to culinary school? Uh, no. So I, um, while I was in, I worked there for about a year and then my best friend that I met down there, this guy I met in school, um, his name's Daniel Pagan. He was working at um, a sports bar, like an oyster bar, sports oyster bar kind of thing. And they needed a bar back. And he was like bringing in all this cash, working as a bartender in this restaurant. And I was like, do you make that much cash every day? And he's like, yeah, man. And I was like, shit, I need to get a job there <laughs> because I'm tired of being a broke ass line cook. Right. And, 70 hours a week just to pay the $900 yeah. rent. Yeah. And then like going to school four days a week at, at, as well. So I was like, damn. And he's like, Hey, we're hiring. I'll get you on as a bar back. And I know how to shuck oysters. Like I'm from an area that oysters are extremely prominent. Like you learn to shuck an oyster where I'm from, like at three years old, that's kids running around with oyster knives happens here. Okay. <laughs> like it's not uncommon. Uh, so I was like, I, shuck oysters for fun man i can definitely do it for work and uh, so i started shucking oysters at this bar and then i started bartending and shucking oysters because i could do both of them whereas most people could not and i worked there through um through a while until i got uh fired because i got drunk at work one night and danced on the bar <laughs> happens to the best of us and yeah yeah it's a good memory i bet yeah, well, it was uh, I was off that night and I had gone to work. It was they were having like a karaoke thing, and I'm a big fan of Alan Jackson, <laughs> and so Alan Jackson came on and I just was wasted and being an idiot and one got too fired many for that one too yeah. many natty lights with the pink Gatorade. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so you got fired on your day off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> During karaoke night. From McKenna's place in West Palm Beach. No, no soul, those owners. Early no vacation. Soul. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want to have a long weekend. Uh... Yeah. So, oh, this, it gets even better. So, after I leave McKenna's place, and um, I'm like, I go to this mall in West Palm Beach called Wellington Green. And I was just going there to get something to eat. And Wellington Green is like, um, the best way to explain it is it might be the MILF capital of the world. Like it's West Palm and there's, hold on, hold on. Let me write this down. <laughs> Wellington, Wellington green mall. You heard okay. it here first. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Late night with chefs bringing you the most important details. Yeah. So there's this place in the Wellington, it used to be there. It's not there anymore. Um, called Dale and Dale and Thomas popcorn. And I walked into Dale and Thomas popcorn and I uh, got some popcorn. They made like gourmet popcorn. And the manager was 
the owner of the store was taking my order. And I was like, what do y'all do here? And he's like, oh, we make popcorn. And he like shows me this whole experience. It's got like this. I'm like, oh, that's cool. He's like, what do you do? I was like, oh, I go to culinary school. And he's like, oh, which one? And I told him, he's like, oh, I went to, I graduated from that school. He's like, you want a job? And I was like, I'm not making fucking popcorn. You're crazy, dude. Like, and, and he's like, oh, I'll pay you this. And it was like 15 bucks an hour in 2007. And I was like, what did you say? To do what? $15 an hour to put kernels in that machine and press the on button. Sign me the fuck up, buddy. Let's go. So I started working there. And obviously, everyone that worked there was an idiot. So I progressed to be a manager fairly quickly of this popcorn store and just made popcorn until I moved back to Panama City, where I'm at now. And then whenever I got back to Panama City, I went to work for Marriott, which was a great company to work for. I love working for Marriott. Got back into doing fine dining, high-end foods, started a catering company, opened, uh, got recruited to open up a high-end restaurant in Panama City, worked there five years as executive chef, um, learned a lot, fucked up a lot, did a lot of cool shit there, and then um, opened Bo's. So at the Marriott, were you working, obviously you were working a hotel restaurant there? Uh, so we had a, there was a restaurant that wasn't connected to the hotel. It was like the Marriott in Panama city. It's, um, it's owned by Starwood. Now Starwood owns the property is now, but it used to be owned by Marriott. Um, it had like a offsite, like really high end restaurant. Um, it was on property, but not connected to the hotel. So yeah, it was like, um, we were using like Carabuda pork and oh yeah yeah fucking wagyu in 2008 and we were only doing like 60 covers a night it was sick food everything was very detailed like all the seafood was phenomenal um and the recession happened like just the economy just tanks and obviously that restaurant's not viable anymore so then i went to the hotel restaurant where it's like way more casual uh made quesadillas and shit like that but it was a lot of high volume cooking so i got into banquets there and did some banquets um which was a lot of fun so i always wonder about you know because i have been in the hotel restaurant game for about the last five years and so do you see a huge difference between you know, hotel restaurants and standalone restaurants and, you know, serving your clientele and sort of the demand of the clientele. Yeah, man. Um, because hotel restaurants are rarely local driven, like not from ingredient standpoint, but from the, the clients, the people that are eating there are they're there for a week or they're there for three or four days and they're gone. Right. You know, so you might, you might hit them like for breakfast once um, and then get them for dinner once, but or you get them, they, they drink a lot in the lounge areas, but there's a huge difference because it's really, really hard to build a local clientele following in a, in a, in a hotel restaurant. I, I agree. I've seen that a lot. I feel it also, you know, sometimes we as chefs are driven to innovate based off of our clientele. And I feel like when you're working in that environment where innovation doesn't necessarily need to happen to keep it, you know, fun and fresh, because, you know, the guests aren't coming back week after week. Um, yeah. You can definitely sort of, 
get into a rut, uh, you know, a little more stagnant uh, of a work environment. Yeah, it did. You know, making quesadillas and shit, I hated it. I was like, I hate doing this, but it was okay. Like some of the food was awesome. And uh, there's those, those menus can be weird. Like you can have a quesadilla and then down the line, you can have like a tomahawk steak. And I'm like, it doesn't make sense. Right. No, and kind of going on that is that, you know, you'd almost have to educate the entire market to have like uh, hotels be a fine dining destination, kind of like they are in uh, Las Vegas. And uh, I was watching the new uh, chef's show on uh, Netflix. No, no. Anybody seen it? Either way. Which one as in the, the chef with Roy Chang or? Uh, yeah, it's one of those. The spinoff the, of the movie? Yeah, exactly. That one. Yeah. And uh, they were talking to like uh, Wolfgang and he was one of the first uh, to kind of bring fine dining into Vegas. And like, you know, then it yeah. became hot and then it became a, you know, kind of like any city when it becomes like a, a global hotspot for like fine dining uh, establishments. You know, off of that show, I think it's so interesting. You're talking about the one where they, where um, the actor had to make Wolfgang an omelet. Yeah. And Roy Chang was like teaching him. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think. And then he told him not to use a plastic spatula. And I was like. Yeah. It's, the but, food's not going to taste like plastic. Okay. Calm down. Uh, you know, <laughs> he has, he's a man that can kind of, you know, say what he wants. I think he's earned right. that at this point. But um, I think that show is so interesting because he gives such a, uh, innocent, like first, like he reminds me when I was like just starting in culinary school, like asked a million questions, always wanted to do things by the book, like would study and learn like exactly what was going on. And then you can see the dynamic between him. Who's like, you know, this like new baby deer trying to walk in this culinary life. And then you have Roy Chang, who's just like, yeah, like whatever, just fucking put the shit with the shit and make right. sure it tastes good. And, you know, however it goes. And it's so funny to see that evolution and that dynamic between the two is pretty interesting. 100%. Yeah. I'm very much that whatever, put the shit with the shit. Let's go. Like, yeah. That's me. I think, I think once you like start <laughs> to learn how to cook and you realize that there's so many different ways to get the same outcome. Um, I think that's when you start to develop that. Maybe that's what makes a, a chef a chef versus a cook is if, you know, how 100%. closely you follow those guidelines. Yeah. Like whenever I'm writing recipes, my cooks will be, they'll bring me the recipe book and be like, what did you mean by this? And I'm like, oh shit. I wrote that recipe. Like I talk, like I speak to someone. So it's like, put this shit here and do it <laughs> like this, you know? And then they're like, I don't understand. And so I'm like, oh, Okay, standardize them a little more for you guys. I'm sorry. Right, exactly. Using those uh, those layman terms, like, what do you mean yeah. you don't understand? So you were talking about, you know, you were at Marriott, and then you had a little bit of a transition, and then you had your own catering company before you did your yeah. restaurant. Yeah, I've always since uh, since Marriott, um, I worked the property I worked at in the off season. Um, didn't do a whole lot of events. So they would let us, they would let me, I approached them one day. I was like, Hey, can I like use your stuff to do a catering? And they're like, yeah, you can rent it from us. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. So that's nice. did that a couple of times. And then, um, you know, me and my 
girlfriend at the time, wife now, uh, had an apartment. So I would cook out of my apartment, which is totally illegal, but I didn't care. Um, and yeah. people started hiring me to do like in-home dinners and I got lucky. I just promoted myself pretty well and I, I got lucky. Um, I got this 50th birthday party um, for some friends of some friends essentially. And this guy was there and he approached me and was like, Hey, you made all of this food by yourself. It was like a hundred person birthday party. Me and my wife did it. And, um, I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, you're pretty good. And I was like, well, thanks man. I appreciate it. So he's like, I'm opening a restaurant and I need a, I need a head chef. And I was like, Oh yeah, cool guy. You and fucking everyone else, man. Everybody <laughs> wants to open a restaurant. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And then he's like, he's like, no, I like know what I'm doing. And I'm like, okay, well, great. And, uh, he gave me his card and I didn't expect, like, I wasn't going to call him or chase him or anything, but so he, um, this dude calls me up like two weeks later and he's like, Hey, I want to meet you for breakfast and show you something. I'm like, all right, where you want to go for breakfast? And he tells me this place in Panama City called Granny's. Granny's is is a $9.99 buffet. Okay. There you I'm go. Like, You're gonna take me to a $9.99 buffet, dude. Are you fucking serious? Uh so I go and he has these plants and he like roll like it was like a movie, you know, like Godfather, like rolling out some cash or something. He like rolls out these plants and um I look at him. I'm like, where the hell are you building that at? And he's like, Oh, I'm building it in this spot. And I'm like, no shit. Not kidding. He was building a fine dining restaurant next to section eight housing, which is government subsidized housing, a water treatment plant and a used car lot. Those were his neighbors. Oh, and a Winn-Dixie was across the street. Ambitious. Those are the, I'm like, you are out of your mind. And I kind of like that about you. So what do you got to offer? You know? So, um, he was like, well, I can offer you this. And it was, it was shit pay at the time. It was like 500 bucks a week or some, something ridiculous, like for the amount of work that I was about to put in. So I took it and that really, really helped me get established in my hometown. Um, people started, people came to eat there. The food was pretty good. And people were like, wow, this guy, he, he, he knows what the fuck he's doing. Like started putting out some quality food, um, doing a ton of catering after that. Like I, I think the most we did in a year for that restaurant catering wise, which is like me going off site and doing who knows what was like, I think we did 175, 175,000, our busiest catering year. Wow. So at this point, are you catering under the restaurant or are you still doing like a private thing? No, for them, I was, for George, I was doing uh, catering for the restaurant. So I was the executive chef and doing all the offsite catering. So without that dude, I would be nowhere. His name was George Hewson. He passed away a few years ago. Um, but yeah, he was like a mentor to me. He was a great dude. He taught me any of the little bit of business shit that I know is what he taught me. And I don't know much, but he taught me the little bit I do know. And yeah, yeah we were doing massive catering. Like we do weddings of five, six, 700 people offsite plus have the oh, restaurant gosh. open. So we, that, that really Hustling. helped me get a step. Oh yeah, dude. Like grinding 90 hour work weeks, just wild shit. Just 
the restaurant would be doing like 350 covers on a Friday and I would be offsite the next morning at like 7 a.m. setting up Sally's wedding at the beach, like carrying Cambros of fucking stuff down to the sand, cooking in the sand. (laughs) Yeah. So it was just like that. That's what showed me like, okay, if you have a restaurant in, in the town that I'm from, and you can like capitalize on the catering, you're going to make it like you're definitely going to do well for yourself. Yeah. And unfortunately so I don't have the resources that restaurant has with my new restaurant, but we're getting there. And so while you were, you know, was this your first leap into like opening a restaurant first executive leap? I know you talked a little bit about learning a lot. What was, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of chefs out there that are, you know, at that crossroads in their life where, you know, they've been sous chef for, you know, eight or nine years and they think that they're ready to take that step. Um, you know, what made you so sure that you were ready to, you know, open up a place and be the exec? I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. I just, I knew that, um, I knew the opportunity would be a while before that came around again. You know, and I think sometimes, uh, chefs are very confident people, but they're, they're conk, they're cocky. They're, they can be maniacs. Um, but we're also kind of like very reserved on our own talents. We don't, we, we know we can do it, but we don't believe in ourselves as much as we believe in the product we put out almost. Um, so it's like, I didn't know if I could do it. I damn sure really didn't truly believe I could, but I I lied to myself enough to figure the shit out. You know, like, Hey, I know if I buy great beef and great seafood, it's hard to screw up, you know, like start with good ingredients and try not to fuck them up. (laughs) Like that was my, that was literally my motto and just got lucky, grind, learn, read a lot of books, go to food and wine shows, you know, learn from other people. We didn't, we don't have, I didn't have um, like the traditional um, dishwasher, line cook, sous chef experience. Like I, I literally went from being a, a, a line cook to doing events for people, running my own events, and then just got thrown into this like executive chef role that I thought I could do. And I did pretty well with it, but I had a lot of help along the way. Like, the guy, George, who I'm talking about, he really, really, you know, taught me very basic things of like how to negotiate pricing and things like that. that I had no clue about. Um, I was just upfront with him and honest and be like, look, dude, I'm here to cook. I don't know anything about that world. You know, I know that I can make steak the way you want it made. And I know I can train people to do that. But how to buy it for cheaper, I'm not so sure about that part. And he just walked me through that process. And so is he a developed like restaurateur in the area? Or is this his first like West Palm Beach sort of experience as well? No, this was back in Panama City. At oh, this, Panama City. Yeah, at this point, it was back in Panama City. No, he had been in the restaurant business for a while. He, um, he was the general manager um, of the very first Outback Steakhouse ever opened. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He was like so a true OG. Yeah. He was the very first Outback's GM. And then he opened like the 14th Outback and got profit share. And then he opened up the 200th Outback and got profit share. 
And the 200th Outback is the one that made him fairly wealthy because that one was doing like 7 million a year. And he was getting like 15% of net plus the salary. So he was making a shit ton of cash. And um, then he opened up another restaurant little, he opened up a little restaurant group, which is what the other place was under. So he had like a pizza joint and he had, um, he had a couple pizza places and then he opened up a, another nice place. Sounds like a very, very wise man. And seems like oh, he, yeah, was he was doing brilliant. it for the passion versus, you know, to make big bucks or anything like that. Yeah, no, he wasn't doing it to be like, um, he wasn't a chef, you know, he was a business person. He was driven by business. He went to Florida state. Um, he knew how to like work a dining room pretty well. And I learned a lot about that because as chefs, until you get out in a dining room and start talking to customers, you're kind of like a shy, more reserved person. But he, he just watching him and asking him questions about why the hell he was talking to people uh, helped me get out in the dining room. And then that just snowballed because once you start doing events and owning your own restaurant, unfortunately people want to talk to you. you know? yep. They want your face. They want to talk to you. Um, you can't be stuck in the kitchen all the time anymore. There's other shit you have to do. And right. The difference between having a conversation with, you know, the host and a couple of guests could, could mean you're booked for the next, you know, three, four months. Exactly. And now I, now I talk to a lot of customers. I mean, customers have my cell phone number, which can get annoying as shit, but it also pays off in the long run if they spend, you know, ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 a year with you, which if they have my cell phone number, they, they spend that much. They're there once a week or twice a week or three times a week, or they book me for their caterings and whatever they need. Yeah. So kind of touching base on like, where were you, you know, prior to COVID and then like, where were you during COVID and how did that affect you? And, you know, what were you doing to stay positive, you know, keep that hunger? Um, yeah. So COVID, COVID, it ate our ass up, man. Um, we, so in 2018, October 10th of 2018, um, was supposed to be my grand opening at Bose. Like we saved our whole, I saved my whole life, me and my wife, our life savings and took a owner, took a owner finance deal on a restaurant that was the guy wanted to sell it. We convinced him to owner finances this restaurant. And um, he was like, okay, this is what you're going to pay me. This is what you're going to do. And I'm like, cool. We change the name. We get a new sign. We dump like $35,000 into it. That's what we have. Like no bullshit. 35 grand. We're going to go for it. And, um, October 10th, supposed to be our opening day. It was a Wednesday. A category five hurricane hits that day in our hometown in Panama city destroys the entire town, wipes it clean. Like, um, left like 30,000 people without houses. Um, no internet, no power. There were people in our town that didn't have power for two months. Like we didn't have internet at the restaurant for a month. Um, we got lucky 10 days after 10 days after Michael happened. Um, our building wasn't affected that much. We kind of got lucky. Uh, we, re we really just did get lucky. Um, so we opened up Bose 10 days after we were like writing on notepads to do orders. Cause there was no, there's no internet, no cable TV, no, none of that. Um, 
cash only. We couldn't run credit cards because uh, the cell phone towers were all down. So we couldn't even like, we couldn't like hook up square to a phone or anything like that. Like it was nothing, nothing like that was happening. It's crazy. Yeah. So we, we made it through the first three months. We were pretty busy because we were one of the, uh, we were one of the few restaurants open. Um, and then 2019 comes and we do great through 2019. We're seeing like a little growth and then February rolls around of 2020 and COVID happens, obviously. Uh, we shut down the restaurant March 18th because it went to to-go only. And we're so tiny, man. Like to-go only would have crushed us. Like we just couldn't make it work with the revenue. So I was like, we can either take what we have, hold on to it and pay the minimal bills and wait for this to pass. Or we can try to do this takeout only thing, which I think we're going to lose our ass on. Um, just cause the, well, that's, I know we talked about that before. Just the overhead that businesses are having to pay now with all the to go silverware and the to go containers and the bags and the, the, you know, sanitizing equipment. It's, and then saying amount of cost occurred just to do business, you know, on top of all the other capital and, you know, overhead that a normal operation would incur. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, we spend on disposables. So silverware packets and to go boxes, we spend like 500 bucks a week on that shit right now. And it's like, man, dude, that, and it's just like money wasted. Cause you're never getting that back. You know, you right. can't sell it. They're charging you tax for it as well because you can't sell it. Um, so we're paying tax on it. Plus it's like, geez, Louise. And then, and then it's rationed, you know? So, and it's like, Hey, I need six cases of to go silverware. And they're like, you can only have four this week. And I'm like, well, what am I'll I going to tell the yeah. people? You know, I'll just tell the other 200 people that they got to eat with their fingers. Yeah. So over the two years we've been open since October 20th of 2018 in the two years we've been there, we've experienced a category five hurricane and COVID. So I'm like, dude, if we can make it through this bullshit, we're going to be okay. <laughs> It'd be golden. Yeah. Nothing, nothing is going to be worse than this. Yeah. And, and COVID like it is, it, it cut our business by 50% for sure. You know, we re when we reopened the restaurant, I wasn't going to reopen until um, the government allowed us to reopen with people inside. So we were at 25%. And then uh, we reopened when they went to 50%. So we waited like even till they went to 50 and reopened. Um, took like, we're already tiny. So I think we have like four, four tables in the main dining area right now. And then we have like five tables in the outside area. So we have nine tables. That's it. And, and so the amount like percentage wise, I think most of the people in my area are all down like 50% just because the, the, we didn't get the right amount of tourists, obviously, you know, the snowbirds didn't come, obviously. Um, the locals were pretty skittish about going out because some tourists amazingly did come. I still don't get that, but um, so the locals stayed home and it's like, now we ain't got shit, you know, because these tourists are down here spreading COVID around and the locals don't want to come out because of it. Yeah. 
I know I'm in uh, Pinellas County, so in the Tampa area. And, you know, right now we're, you know, in the news. Um, I think we're like third on Florida's list right behind, you know, Polk County um, as far as, you know, new cases every single day. And there's still, you know, I'll go out and walk the dog and there's a lot of people who are still vacationing here who are still, you know, coming to, you know, try to return to normalcy at some point, but you can definitely tell that, you know, the tourists are out and they're out and they're spending the money, but all that local business, like you're talking is at home worried, you know, doesn't want to interact the same way. doesn't want to go to, you know, the same local spot every week because, you know, they know that, you know, hundreds of different people from all over the place, you know, are also there, um, you know, and, it's reliant on that one person who, you know, is making 10 to $12 an hour to make sure, you know, that the sanitizer bottle that they're using, you know, is not four hours old and that, you know, that they have the right amount of chemical mix in there and that they're spraying the table down completely. And so it's definitely when you, you know, bring it down to that level of, you know, who are you putting in responsible for making sure that that restaurant is staying clean and up to standard. Um, It could definitely entice people to, you know, stay inside yeah i mean one of the things that has hurt us was being like i've always wanted a small restaurant i don't want the 300 seat 200 seat 150 seats too much for me um that's hurt us through covid because it's a small enclosed area you know like you can only fit so many people in there and then it it's uncomfortable and it's really uncomfortable if there's a pandemic going on so right (laughs) like we're, you know, it, that's been a challenge and people still, some people are just like, I don't understand why they don't want to eat outside. We didn't put up a tent or anything. Some restaurants did. I'm like, that is, that defeats the purpose. Like it, if you put up a tent and put four walls on it, it becomes fucking inside. Okay. <laughs> then it is an inside tent. Um, 100%. We didn't do that. We're like, it's outside. If you, if you want to eat here, you can eat outside in our six picnic tables we have outside, you know? Yeah. So, and so have you noticed having to, you know, um, the offering that you guys are serving, have you guys had any, you know, limit as to what you are serving or had to, you know, pivot in any manner as far as, you know, what you guys are serving and what you're doing at both? Yeah. We saw costs go up. I mean, we serve a product that is, it's not expensive. You know, it's, it's fried chicken and cornbread and two sides or country fried steak and two sides. Um, but we saw prices like jump, obviously, um, things weren't moving around as much. So like, whereas we were buying chickens for like a dollar 15 a pound, that's not the case anymore. You know? we were getting like ribs for nothing. And then now it's just like, Holy shit, man. Like, do I have to take ribs off the menu? We were, we were serving them every day. And then we went to serving them once a week. And then I'm like, and people are like, why'd you do that? And I was like, they doubled in cost. Like, will you pay more for them? Well, I I don't know. I'm like, exactly. So (laughs) I have to, I have to read you the customer's mind and figure out whether you will pay for this or not, because if you don't, then I have to eat it. And right. I'm, not gonna, I'm not in business to lose money. Right. Um, you know, exactly. So, yeah, well, they they don't miss- see those invoices. No, they don't. And then 
we went up like reopening for COVID. We went up like 71 cents on like a fried chicken meal. And people were like, some people were aggravated about that. And I'm like, you've got to be shitting me. <laughs> you're, you're kidding me. It's 71 cents. Like right. it's 71 cents more than what it was the last time you were here 10 weeks ago, pre pandemic. And I don't know if you've went to the grocery store and seen what ground beef and chicken costs, man, but it's not, it's not the same price it was 10 weeks ago. Okay. Right. It, right. It's a commodity. It goes, it goes up and down based on market. So. Exactly. So what's, um, you know, what's the plan for Bose right now? What are you guys, you know, doing moving forward? Are you guys just kind of, I know, you know, DeSantis in Florida, um, seems to be a little bit of a free for all, um, in some aspects, but you know, what's the, what's the move? What's the idea trying to get on the other side of this? Well, um, doing a ton of catering. Uh, we do a lot of like doctor's office caterings cause those, those doctor's offices don't want their employees to leave. They don't want them to leave for lunch. They want them to come to work and go home. That's what they want them to do. They don't want them getting COVID. So they're ordering more than they were pre-pandemic and they're ordering like all box lunches. So we're doing a ton of that. Like I think yesterday we had like a 75 person office. That's Um, awesome. And And how do you connect to, you know, that demographic? Do you use any like, uh, you know, websites or applications? Like I know easy catering. That's um, the one I use easy cater. I will advocate for them all day long. Yeah, they're a heavy um, hitter, especially, you know, when uh, you say doc- doctor's office, I know like one thing people don't think about, but, you know, they're not going to go to Grubhub or something like that. They're going to go for more office-y um, yeah. spots and Easy Cater is definitely an easy way to connect to them. Yeah, Easy Cater does wonders for us and we do quite a bit of business through them, like a ton more than what I thought whenever I signed up for it. Yeah. I opened the restaurant. 100%. Like, way more than what I thought. Like there's weeks that we do 10 or 15 easy caters and I'm like, Holy shit. These people are paying my bills. Like literally they are paying my bills right now. Like easy cater is what is keeping us afloat. Easy and cater and then private events. On uh, on easy cater, you could charge for utensils also. So Yeah. I mean, you can add it. Add Blood it with the secret I mean, tips. I'm just saying, uh, you know, Chicago. But no, I yeah. mean, if they want extra stuff like that. But, you know, yeah. I, I help my uh, parents, small business as well. And uh, when I signed them up for Easy Cater, you know, they had, you know, the same experience. But unfortunately, you know, in Chicago, all the offices kind of closed down and, you know, working minimal things. So yeah, it's, it's regional, right? And you got to take what you, what you get and you know, find as much business as you can to, to stay afloat through these times. The private catering is so the house that I'm staying in now, is a really, really nice house. Like y'all can see some of this, like it's, it's like seven bedrooms and it's got a heated pool and um, five bathrooms. Anyway. So the house I'm staying in now, I did a, it's important. (laughs) Yeah, it's in Port St. Joe, Florida, which is a cool, tiny little community on the Forgotten Coast. Like it's it's in the middle of nowhere. It's an hour to a Walmart here, but they have like cool little local things, like a Piggly Wiggly, and they got this bomb ass little piece of joint. But anyway, so the guy, I did a party here um, in December, a Christmas party for a 
um, for a real estate office, like the local real estate office here is 14 people. Um, and they had me come in cause they couldn't go out to eat anywhere. And this house is, is huge. You could easily social distance in here. So they had their little 14 person thing here. And the guy who owns it, I was like, Hey man, I got a question for you. Like I'll take some of that bill off if you let me stay here next year. And he was like, well, I'm booked up for the year. And I'm like, well, that's obvious. This place is amazing and immaculate. Right. Um, but he's like, let me look. And he had like a three day cancellation in this time period. So he texted me and was like, Hey, if you want it, you can have it on this day, these three days. And I was like, I'll take it. So I traded out some, some Christmas party catering to stay in this house for three days. That's awesome. <laughs> That's the yeah. best thing about food and beverage business is there's always, oh, yeah. you know, food is everyone's got to eat. So you can always do a little bit of wheeling and dealing and, um, that's why we love this industry. Well, I do a ton of the trade, a ton of trade. The Godfathers themselves, uh, Escoffier and uh, Ritz, you know, they used to take as many kickbacks. They took so many kickbacks off Savoy uh, Hotel, the first hotel ever that they, you know, opened the Ritz Carlton, which was like more expensive and more luxurious than the Savoy. So the entire exactly. founding and foundation has been. You know, um, on these kickbacks, it's yeah. it's on that raw hustle, and like we're gonna feed you some amazing things, give you that experience, but we're also, you know, in it for our experience as well. And you know, yeah, yeah, you got to pay yourself first. That's the first yeah, rule. I, I mean, we I do pretty well with the private caterings and easy cater type stuff. So that's really, really what has floated Bose through the pandemic is because the restaurant itself just isn't anywhere close to the revenue of 2019. Um, So those little eight people, six people, private in-home dinners, which it seems like every chef is doing now, I get it. They have to do it to stay, you know, to pay their bills. Um, Those things have helped us out tremendously. And it just so happens that some of the people that call me have really cool shit. And I'll be like, Hey, you want to trade? (laughs) I need a vacation. Yeah, exactly. Well, chef, um, we really appreciate you talking to us about, you know, your culinary journey and bows. I know, uh, before we let you go, Vlad, uh, you know, has some interest in some of your Instagram posts. Yeah, man, go yeah, for no, it. I, I, uh, I had another question before that, but it flew out of my head. Oh, uh, a question we had on, on, uh, uh, on our previous pod was, you know, how do you go about menu planning and how do you go about, you know, talking to the clients and, and discussing a price and, you know, what's a fair price and, and how do you go about pricing your hours and all of that good stuff in terms of, business side of it um so i like to do uh, is this is this like from catering or from the restaurant or for both? catering for catering cool so i hope that everyone who does catering switches to a custom model to where we can be paid for the shit we do um it is not easy work the reason you're calling someone is because it's very difficult work and it takes a long time to plan some of these things. And then it takes a lot of people to execute them sometimes. 
So I base all of my menus on it's all custom. And it, that scares a lot of people off, but you need to scare those people off because if they're looking for 10 bucks, then they can go get that somewhere else. Like that's not what we do. Um, I do, I sit down with the clients or go on a call with them. Normally the, the leads come in through like email or they call the restaurant and then I'll, I'll say, Hey, I got to talk to you in, in person about this or over the phone. Um, I'll call them and I'll say, what is it? Is it a wedding? Is it a birthday party? What are you trying to do here? Um, kind of get their vision, ask them, you know, what colors they're using if it's a wedding and, Oh, do you, what food do you like? What do you not like? Um, do you have any allergies? And then I just start basing the menu off of these things. They tell me, like, I don't have a script that I read on those things, but it's kind of all the same. Like how many people is it? Um, do you want a buffet? Do you want a plate of dinner? Do you want action stations? Do you want all of these things? And then usually, and I, I personally don't mind it. A lot of people hate it. A lot of people in our world hate it. Uh, I don't mind the Pinterest board. Like if a, if a client brings to me a Pinterest board, that makes my life so much easier because they know exactly what they want. They have no idea how much it costs. So I just, what I'll do is, okay, you want this, this, and this, and this, those are hors d'oeuvres. This is a meal. That is a buffet item. I help them put that together. And then I usually always charge a, a price per person. And normally what I like to do is I always write $500 in for myself. And that's like right off the wrap. Um, the profit, the rest of the profit goes into the business. So if it's, if it's costing me 20 bucks per person to make this, I'm trying to get them to spend 80. Um, and that might sound like a ripoff to a lot of people, but I have to prep it. I have to staff it. I have to travel with the food. I have to use my equipment, wear and tear. I have to do all of these things. So you're probably looking at, after you pay people, buy the food, do all the work, you're looking at like making, if you're really good, 30 bucks off a person or 20 bucks off a person. So the the ability is there with food costs and profit margins on catering way more than in restaurants because it's a, it's a lot more difficult. You have to bring things off site and do a lot of things. So I always like to try to make at least if it's a hundred dollars a person meal, then I'm trying to make 30 bucks per person, like profiting right. net $30, you know? No, I, I, I think yeah. everything you said was like, you know, right on point And I think great advice. Uh, you know, in our previous pod, we were talking about that as well. And um, you know, what's, you know, how to price you in and, you know, um, chef John, uh, in Nashville, you know, he throws a 20%, uh, gratuity on whatever the, you know, total may be, but I think you're right there. There needs to be, you know, like nobody counts the gas, the, the, you know, we were talking about what if a client is talking to you about like for two weeks and then last minute, you know, changes everything and downscales on everything. Sometimes, you know, your biggest headache clients take, so much of your time and are just not worth it. Even if, even if they pay good or not, sometimes those most headed clients uh, drive your business down and drive your profit margin down. Cause they slow you down in terms of how fast you can move and you know, your turnover rate. And yeah, well, I think the, yeah, the one thing that I see with the catering business is like, you're putting yourself out on the line every time. If I'm working behind the line, I can, you know, 
I can mess up a table here or there and the service can still net positive. But when you're out in, in an event, you know, away from a kitchen and you brought everything with you, you can't mess up too many catering events and still be viable. You know, that word of mouth, every single event is so important. Um, oh, it's yeah. completely different than a restaurant. And I've fucked up a few of them. So I'm well aware. Oh, I, I have... Equally there on the boat with you, you're taking the bet that you are going to execute everything they want on their menu, right? And uh, everything from that Pinterest board. Yeah. And uh, everything on on the chef's mind too. Sometimes I catch myself shooting myself in the foot all the time when I, I go way too creative for no reason. And, you know, then I'm like, what are you doing? Why? Why? me and my well uh my wife had to help me this one time with this one catering we did we did uh we do a lot of theme caterings which is super super interesting and then my wife is a designer so sometimes she gets to design like the decor for these things um we did a, a kid's halloween party one time where every staff member had to dress up so we're all in costume and i was count chefua so i was a chef like it was ridiculous. My staff was aliens. These people had a, a UFO built into their front yard with a live person in it, dressed in an alien outfit. Like they spent buku money for this. We did the little flower little pots. Jimmy's birthday. With the, yeah, with the flower pots with the little worms, the eyeballs in the punch bowls. Like we did all of that shit for this thing. And it's just like, holy cow, who has this much disposable income? Who like who does this? But you they know? do, yeah. and I think with those clients, you have to sell the entire package. Like you, yeah. They they don't want you know they don't want to be a a, a a contractor and hire all these people, um. You know, and I found myself in positions like that where you know people who have the most people people without a price tag are great to work with, but it's also you know a headache at the same time because you're you know you're overworking as well but then you got to charge accordingly with those clients and yeah. sometimes it may even seem steep but you're taking your time and you know you're calling people and you're looking at costumes online and you have to get these costumes and try them on and you know these hours add up really and nobody really appreciates that that back yeah. of you know the back Behind of the, the scenes, scenes work yeah 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 and it's detailed i mean some of that sh- stuff is very detailed work i mean we did we did another wedding that was like $25,000 food budget. And I'm like, what? Like 400 people, 25 grand is your budget for food. What do you want to eat? <laughs> it's just like right. lobsters and truffles and, and right. wagon fillets for that everyone. Like lots like, kind of party. What? Truffle, yeah, caviar, wagon. Was this my wedding? <laughs> yeah. This was at a person's house. They had 400 people at their house. Holy shit. Yeah. It was wild, man. Um, those are the best ones i and i bet you know and tell me if i'm wrong but did you have like you know anxiety you know the day before trying to go to sleep and oh like yeah running well, the entire prep list and all the menu items you know in your head yeah i can't like get away from it whenever i have a, a operation like that that's going on like it'd take me i i was on site there for i showed up three days before the event and started like assembling a kitchen and assembling all the stuff that I needed at their house. Like, Hey, I need to be there three days before this thing. 
and like took everything out of their garage, built a kitchen into their garage with like all gas burners and shit. And then made sure like everything was down to the T where it needed to be day of event. Then we're just like pulling in food and cooking. Right? We had a staff of 36 for that one. That one was wild. And then do you use like your, you know, skeleton crew or do you, you know, have like a, a company you work with or these uh, people? I have that- totally, um, for the catering, I have a totally different crew that just does that with me. Um, they all have other jobs. Some of them, most of them have previous restaurant experience. They still like to do it, just not all the time. So keep them on call for caterings. When the, when the big events come back, great. They're going to be happy because we usually do at least one a weekend. That's what's up. And I know there's a lot of those that, you know, really help you out to have them on call versus, you know, having them on a full-time or a part-time. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all like super talented people that just didn't want to work in food and bev anymore. No, offsites events are, are fun when you're start cooking, you know, the first, or at least get, you know, over the salads and the appetizers, then you can kind of yeah settle like, down. But, this out. All right. You know, putting putting uh, 400 Wagyu fillets in an oven and cooking them till medium uh, rare, that's, you know, a huge gamble. And that takes a lot of, you know, confidence and experience to, to pull that off. So, yeah. you know, that's that's amazing to hear that you're doing that. And, you know, it obviously takes it, it doesn't happen overnight and it takes a lot of time to to build up to where you're at. And that's awesome to see, you know, um, during these times to be able to pivot and, you know, stay afloat and do your thing and, you know, find niches in yeah. the market where you can, you know, fill your uh, passion and, uh, you know, your jobs and your business. So that's awesome. And yeah. um, I was going to transition into this. Um, other Instagram. Yes. Yes. How do you I think this? that is million dollar right there idea (laughs) and i cannot wait to see you and and i'm actually so my question is do you have a tiktok i do not have a tiktok all right so one thing my employees i I personally ask you gotta get one to take all the videos of uh how i eat it and and post it on (laughs) tiktok and i okay I, i scrolled through your page and i was just having a ball. So if you could uh, tell all our viewers tuning in uh, all your social media platform names and how they could uh, check out all your amazing content that you've been posting. Uh, so my personal Instagram is uh, chef Chris, I at chef underscore Chris underscore I, and that's Instagram. I don't have Facebook. Um, I think I'm like the only millennial. I, I, I may have had a Facebook for like a month back whenever <laughs> I was 18. If you don't and mind I've me met- asking, how old are you? I'm 33. Okay. 33. Yeah. So I haven't had a Facebook ever basically. Um, but yeah, chef Chris, I is my Instagram, my secret services of the podcast, Instagram. Um, you can follow me there. I post these stupid videos that one day showed up. Those are, I act in those. That is not me. That is not who I am. Uh, That's, I think that that is is the best part is because it makes you want to scroll and be like, is he for real? And then wait, is like, this keep, really? Yeah. He keeps scrolling yeah. down and like it's it's completely acting. It started out with I was at the restaurant. We used to do breakfast, like when we reopened from COVID to try to get extra revenue, 
takeout business, we, we started doing breakfast and I'm like, we had these giant cat head biscuits, which they're huge. And people are like, how do you literally someone asked me, <laughs> how do I, how do I eat this? And I'm like, do I need to make a fucking video for these people on how to eat this? So I, I go on there being sarcastic and like a thousand people watch it. And I'm like, a thousand people watch me eat a fucking sausage biscuit. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to do more millions, of these. <laughs> billions are going to watch you, dude. I'm telling you that shit is amazing. That is like, it's like, you know, when uh, every, every chef or every person goes, how did I not think of that? And that you literally did that. And I, I think it, with the whole ASMR, uh, you know, being huge, especially, you know, in Japan and, and uh, China and all that, I think you eat like literally there's huge Chinese and, and Asian celebrities and Japanese, whatever, everybody in that culture that like will eat like raw octopus and that. And you did that for Southern food. And I think that is amazing. Yeah, it was a complete accident, but. All my employees and my wife want me to get a TikTok. So I guess I'm going to have to get a TikTok. You have, dude, so, you are going to be, you know, TikTok famous 100%. Yeah. You and a chef I'm, named Matt. I'm literally right next betting, to each other. I'm betting, you know, all my cards on you. If you <laughs> open a TikTok and post the, the, you know, the videos that you already have and just continue doing that. And I'm not trying my to sound favorite like was Gary the chicken right pie. now, but. I know it's a good idea because about because a week you know ago, that stuff like yeah. it's, you're, you're not only like, it's funny, but it's also factual. Like you, you had me at the beanie weenie mac, <laughs> mac and cheese and the, you know, the green tomato, like the taters. I, I yeah. thought that, you know, and you do eat green tomatoes with ranch. Like that is a fact. Yeah. Like if you didn't know, like now, you know, and that's how you do eat it. And that's like, I love that. Yeah, I ran a poll on Instagram last week. Like, hey, should I get – and I even made up a funny name. I was like, do y'all think I should get one of these top tickers? <laughs> and they were like and, – and then like 71 people replied and like 60 of them were yes. The 11 that didn't – so Instagram, guys, is really cool because it has analytics built into it that mm -hmm. the, the consumer can see. So it shows you the people that say no. <laughs> and it, it, and it does and it does help because you see this is literally my demographic and this is exactly what they want yeah so the the 10 or so that said no are all other restaurant owners and i was like i'm <laughs> doing it i'm making a fucking research. tiktok yeah there you go. and i swear if you did uh like what is like what you just said like what is this tick tiktok whatever you like Hot that ticker. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I think just that video alone would be like hilarious of you like trying to yeah. figure out how to use it. Vlad wants yeah. to be your social media manager. I do. I do. I, <laughs> I like I really feel like this you, you know, you're just that one click, one share away from being uh huge and that's awesome. Yeah. Well, maybe I won't have to do fucking catering anymore if that happens. Well, it's only going to make you do more catering, so I'm sorry. Oh, maybe, and then they'll have, they'll, I'll be like, if you want me to do a top ticker at your catering, it's an extra thousand dollars, okay? There you you got to have the voice the entire <laughs> catering event. Yeah. You can't break character. Yeah. And then yeah. if they ever need a, a truffle shaver, uh, you know, you know who to hit, hit up yeah. for that. 
super expensive. You really do love truffles, don't you? No, I, yeah. Yeah, it's like a thing. It's like the whole fundamentals of truffle. Like they're healthy, they're expensive. You shave them, you eat them (laughs) creamy, you eat them, you know, just everything about it. I even have a rap song in the works where I go, you know, I, I love truffles on my butter. I love truffles on my steak. Uh, I love truffles on my pizza. And then uh, I hit him with the punchline. I shave truffles on my date. Oh, and, um, oh. yeah. Like I, I, take it, I take it into the bedroom. I make it intimate. I mean, um, yeah. But how no, many, I love of, how many of those, how many of those events have you been to and people and, and, you're like using truffles or you're using truffles somewhere. And then you got that guy. He walks on up. I got some truffle oil at my house. <laughs> a lot. And how does that make you feel? <laughs> a lot. And I go, yeah, that's, that's not it. Yeah. Uh, I, show them the and I, sh- I show them the, I show them the real goods. Yeah. yeah. And so. then they're like, Oh, cool. How, that's a lot. Yeah. You're paying for it too. People don't appreciate truffles either. I think they're, you know, white ones are, I think priced right, but I think black truffles are pretty underpriced. And they also, obviously there's a big difference between white flavor and, and black truffle flavor. But I think that every person in this world should eat foie gras, caviar, truffles, and yep. uni. wagyu. Wagner yeah, and Uni. Yeah, I think those five yeah. things. And then obviously the list kind of goes down from there, but just to try, just to know. Not, it's not everybody's boat, but that's how you, I, I feel like that's how you make, you know, any item more expensive. Mac and cheese, 100 bucks, throw some foie gras in it, you know? Yeah. There you go. Like troubles on top and just be it, done or black troubles. Exactly. I don't, yeah, I don't use them, but omelet, so. I like them. <laughs> I like them. I just don't use them. Well, it's also if you have like the the connect, right? If they're so easy to access, then you can buy a small amount versus, you know, having to like I can go to my truffle guy and get $50 worth of truffles, you know. I can go get 100, you know, so like it, it all depends and so sometimes I just get it for fun, but it really is just a show piece. That's yeah. all it is. It is. It's the hype. Well, sure. Maybe- Maybe I should do a how do how do you eat this truffles? I'll send, you, I'll send you a truffle if you do that, and you just bite into the truffle. I'll do it. Let's do it. All right. Forward me your. Uh, I mean, right. I did it. I did it with Doug. I I shipped you him did. truffles, so it's you it's did. not a problem. I think if you do that, fucking split the dividends of that video with me. Okay. There you go. The start of something great. Deal. No, I think TikToker. that's amazing. I think that's great marketing, um, you know, for your business as well. And they, it kind of grows and, you know, exponentially. Uh, and I mean, I hope it does. They're fun to make. They're a lot of fun to make. I just make them on the cell phone. They're not <laughs> scripted. Like I do all of that within 30 seconds. Like I don't do multiple takes. Like that's why you'll hear me sometimes like slip up and my wife is like shaking whenever I do them because she's like, you're going to say something stupid. You're going to say something stupid. You're going to do some. Yeah. I mean, my wife has a PR and marketing background. So she's like, this is dangerous. This is dangerous, <laughs> you know, but I love them and I, I'll keep doing them. They're fun. They're not scripted. They're all off the whim with my 
funny voice like hey y'all how y'all doing today you know i love it's it all, you it take is. a sip and they're you know i just love it the yeah. whole thing i love it i, I mean can't yeah. can't get over it before you got on i was telling doug like i was literally just bawling looking through all of them and that's awesome and uh we had uh actually uh doug's dad uh tuning in and he asked uh fried chicken let's settle the debate uh dip dry or wet first or do you double dip uh brine dry fry brine dry fry there you go you heard it here that's how you do fried chicken bone in right oh yeah bone in gotta have the bone in Bone. Yeah, it's all bone. I learned that from my times at Royster. All the all the southern people that would came, huh. they would be like, "Bro, this isn't fried chicken. It doesn't have a bone. What is this?" <laughs> like so, I don't know. Grant told me to do it exactly. Yeah, just you don't. Just you don't here. tell that guy no. Like, no, no, you don't. You want me to call him over here? No, you don't. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I had the pleasure of frying like six hundred thighs a night in this restaurant. Royster, I I didn't get to eat there when I went to Chicago, but I want I wanted to eat there. Um, our our trip to Chicago was just very packed with things to do and very quick. Like, what we spots went to see did the, you uh, stop by, or did you did you go to any um, historical well, we, spots or any? Yeah, we went to see the Rolling Stones at Soldier Field because um, I got really really lucky and got row one seats on Ticketmaster at midnight, like when they went on sale, like hitting refresh. And my wife loves the Rolling Stones. I didn't, I didn't really care, but I knew I wanted to go to Chicago, and it just so happened to be that concert was there, and it was going to make me look good, so I did it. And, Brownie points, uh, yeah. And then whenever we, whenever we were there, we were only there three days. Uh, the next night um, was a, a Cubs game, and I was like, I'm not coming to Chicago without going to Wrigley Field. So I ate a hot dog at Wrigley Field with that like nuclear fucking green relish they make there. Hell yeah. I don't know what I don't know what that shit is, but it's pretty good. Um, <laughs> it's delicious. Sweet and tangy. Yeah, and then we went to Demo's Pizza. That was pretty good. Um and uh I really really wanted to go to this tiny steakhouse called Booth House, but we couldn't get a reservation and we couldn't get in. Um so where did we we oh we ate at Pacific Standard Time, which was really good. good. Yeah, it was pretty good. We ate there. You had the pizza um, or the the bread from the oven. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Um, where else did we eat in Chicago? We ate at. I'll I'll butcher the name. Giordano's something like that. Giordano's. Giordano's. We ate Giordano's. That was my first ever experience with like true Chicago style pizza. Um, and what's your opinion on that? I liked it, man. I The weird thing that I liked about that pizza was they serve it to you. Like they yeah. scoop it out of the little thing and they put it on the plate for you. Um, I'm still like, I'm going to have to do a, how do you, how do you eat this on this on Chicago style pizza? Because I'm like trying to pick it up. The guy's like, no, 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 buddy. You got fork and knife. So I'm like, what? No, like, it's pizza. <laughs> like, no, that's not how we do it here. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll use the fork and the knife. This guy is is a lot bigger than me, and he has a funny accent. And he'll beat my ass if I eat this pizza with my hands. So we ate there. Um, 
but that was pretty much the extent. It was a quick trip. Um, you know, well, it we didn't sounds get like you do. had all the all the true Chicago, uh, you know, food spots. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it would have been nice to go to like Everest or Alinea or Royster or any of their like big Michelin star like high French high French fashion places or any of that stuff. It would have been cool to go to those. Like we've eaten at those in other cities, just not Chicago yet. And, you know, hopefully they're still around when you make a, a trip back up here. I hope so. But, you know, that's with the entire food scene. And it's, it's kind of been, you know, hard. And that's, you know, the whole reason of this podcast. Uh, and I know you have a podcast yourself. And I, I did take a listen. Uh, and I thought it's as well awesome. And everything you do uh, is really, really well done. And, you know, has, you know, good taste and is done, you know, properly. and you know, the studio looks amazing and tell us more about your podcast and, and who do you have on and what do you guys talk about? Yeah. So the podcast started during COVID. Um, I always wanted to do like, uh, I'll, I always love talking about restaurants, not specifically food, but restaurants, um, and like the hospitality business. It's just, it's a fun, cool thing that we all get into and love, you know, it's, it's, yes, we get to cook, but I love the hospitality business kind of more than I love cooking. Um, so during COVID we were sitting around and we're like, what the fuck are we going to do, man? So we started telling like stories about the industry and I'm like, someone needs to record this. And all my buddies were like, dude, we will be divorced. We will be fired. We will lose everything we have. If people hear these stories and some of the stories are true. Like, you would be divorced, you know, you would be fired. Like this business brings a lot of problems into your life as well. Um, and I'm like, okay, so we can't do that. And then I was like, well, what if we did it anonymous? What if we made it like 60 minutes or some like TV show, like anonymous where people change their voices and I had no idea and still have no idea how to do any of that shit. Um, my dishwasher Atlas on the show, his name, his real name is Tanner. Um, Does he ride beats by any chance on the, on the side? Uh, no, he doesn't. Um, he doesn't write beats, but the guy that did our theme song does write beats. Um, he is one of my buddies from like all of this, like my friends kind of like just gave to me and let me, you know, he, he wrote me that song on my secret service and did that. Um, but Tanner, uh, mom got a catering from me during COVID we're closed and, so it's just like a box lunch, essentially. It was like five people worth of food. She was just probably trying to help us out, to be honest with you. And so I, I make her the food and I bring it to their house. We live in the same neighborhood, um, a pretty large neighborhood, but we live in the same neighborhood. And he's like, hey, chef, you want to see my uh, you want to see my setup? And I'm like, I mean, he's my dishwasher. What, what do you got? A dish machine in your house? What the fuck you got going, man? <laughs> So he walks me into his room and he has like this computer, like four or five computer screens and like these cameras all over his room and he's doing VR and he's got all these microphones. And I'm like, you fucking trade stocks or something? What are you doing here, man? (laughs) And and he was like, no, man, like I play video games. I watch Twitch and I do all this stuff. And I was like, could you do a podcast? And he's like, I mean, I could. Yeah. I'm like, cool. Be at the restaurant tomorrow morning. We're, we're starting a podcast. And he was like, 
all right. So he shows up and we have like this little shed and uh, that was our bar. And I'm like, all right, let's take all this shit out of here. So like we rip all this shit out of the bar and um, he was like, all right, so we need this, 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 and this. And I start adding all the stuff up and I'm like, this is like a lot of money, Tanner. (laughs) He was like, he was like, I'm just telling you, you said you wanted to be the best. This is how you do it. This is how you get the best stuff. And I'm like, okay. So we started buying stuff and just gradually piecing it together through COVID until the, the studio was done. But we, but Tanner did, Tanner did all that work by himself. Like he did the outfitting, he hooked up all the electronics. And I mean, we have a little bar in there too, like a little four tap system. Um, yeah, he did all of that. And uh, now he does, he still works at the restaurant now that we're reopened. Um, but he does that as his main job is my secret service. And then part-time he works in the restaurant, um, which is cool for him because he got put on salary for that, you know, because he pretty awesome. much works. He pretty much works around the clock now. Like whenever I need it, when it might be, we have a guest on from Australia. So we have to record at who knows what fucking time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been cool, man. It keeps, I like the fact that we do it and keep people anonymous because I like the, that we, you changed the voice and, uh, yeah, the million you know? served. Uh, I think that, you know, that it's good. It, it draws you in and, and it, you know, it's mysterious where, you know, that mystery sells it. Yeah. And the story is crazy. Great. The crazy thing is the very first episode, like that dude, um, he owns a restaurant in our town and he's a friend of mine and he's telling these stories, like tells me on air that he has had affairs and, and I'm like, okay, this is real now. Like these people are really airing out their laundry, like really airing it out. And, um, I don't know if I can protect you, dude. Like I'm going to change your voice, but the day that episode aired, I probably had 80 text messages of people asking me, who the fuck is that? And I'm like, I, I can't tell you. Right, I'm right. Sworn to secrecy. The only way you know who's been on the show is either one, they tell you, or two, you come into the studio and you look at the wall because everyone who's on the show signs the wall. If they're guests like that can come in studio. If not, then we just don't sign it. But yeah, um, I'm shocked at how many like big name people are willing to come on strictly because we're anonymous and they just want to talk a bunch of shit about the industry for an hour. And, they, it's and I think awesome. that's great. Yeah. I would, I would love to come on and. That's going to come and brings you some truffles. God, you can come on, you can come on. And then like, so season two is coming out in February, like pretty soon in a couple of days. Um, so we don't know when the episodes are going to air. We know what day the episodes air on Tuesday at midnight, but we don't know what episode is first and we don't know what episode is last. So it's scrambled. So we, we don't even know like what episode is going to be three or four or seven or one, you know, right. and like just to kind of add like an extra level of security for people to where like they don't feel so uncomfortable. Like, Hey, we don't know when your episode's coming out. Some people want to hear them before and like have Atlas take out a bunch of stuff or bleep out some things. Um, but yeah, we don't, we don't even know. 
some of the some of the guests i have no idea who they are also because they'll black out their screen on zoom and i won't even see them so which makes it very interesting to try to interview people like that i yeah i couldn't know. imagine there's like no and interaction the setup behind no. it is you know it's extensive and in your guy definitely knows what he's doing yeah uh, so he's props a great to him. kid it's it's a lot and i equally had uh one of my old uh chef buddies helped me they, they were doing twitch and you know gaming and stuff and uh he helped me you know set everything up and you know it took us about three or four weeks to to get everything the way it needed to be and like actually you know make it look presentable yeah i mean i still have no idea how any of that shit works like i literally put on headphones and talk that's it must be nice doug right i know it's it's so funny the you know that sort of idea of you know us as chefs are nothing without our dishwashers and then you know you also have this person where if you didn't sort of you know put that interaction and you know develop that space for him to like share these skills with you you would also you know never know so it just goes to show you never really know someone's you know full potential until you take the time to learn who that person is and you know what they're capable of yeah and he produces two other shows now as well so like within the we started doing the podcast in september he's picked up two other podcasts that he produces now. So I'm like, dude, you're going to, this is going to be your full-time job in That's 18 awesome. months. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully he can just do that. You know, I hope that right. he gets to that level to where that's just what he can do because it's great to see like those guys grow. It's great to see people, even in the kitchens, like we love to see our cooks go places. Like yeah. I always like to say I'm the bridesmaid. Like I have three cooks running Michelin star restaurants that worked for me and I'm nowhere near that level. Like no, nowhere even close. Can I cook with those guys anymore? Um, but they're all, you know, one of them's at, uh, Bresca in DC. Another one works for John George and another one is a GM for John George. And I'm like, how did two, how did three of my cooks go to work for Ryan Rotino and fucking John George? Like I have no that's idea. Amazing. But, Cause yeah. you know, you, helped them along their journey and you were part of their story as well. Yeah. Well, chef, thank you so much for sharing, you know, your podcast and just, you know, your humor and everything you got going on at Bose and sort of your story. I know we have one, you know, pressing closing question before we let you go that has sort of uh, given us an array of answers, but um, you know, before we let you go, uh, we do need to know from you, why 86? This is why 86? Because um, it's the 86th item on Delmonico's menu in New York City. That's why it's 86. <laughs> I mean, fucking everyone's Perfect. done ever. Uh, yeah. I, I love 86 and shit, by the way. It's my favorite <laughs> thing to do. Some people hate it, but I'm like, we're 86 that. We sold out. We're done. Fucking Brussels sprouts getting 86. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) The good old Brussels sprouts. No, it's, it's our mission at the end of, you know, this podcast journey years down the road to finally figure out why 86, you know, we've interviewed so many chefs from different countries who we all use 86. We all yell 86. We all know what that means, but where did it start? 
why is it so known throughout our entire industry? Pass it along. It's like anything else, you know, it's, but it's the only one thing that we all have in common, I guess. Yeah. It's very, yeah. it's intriguing. It is. I, I, obviously there's a lot more connections, but you know, it's like, you don't know where you even heard it first, you know, was it on TV? Was it in, you know, and it's crazy, but we all know it. We all use it. And there's some mystery there. And we're, you know, trying to find the roots of that. But we want to thank you so much for coming on the pod, sharing your beautiful experience. Uh, you know, you're a true hustler. And we love hearing everything, you you know, you were you brought to the table and you shared with us. And, you know, we wish you nothing but success. And we're rooting for you. We'll be making sure to like and comment on all your stuff. And it's truly amazing. I'm excited to see your TikTok or TikToker <laughs> if that TikToker. happens. Talk ticker. There you go. Talk ticker. The talk ticker. <laughs> talk ticker. All over it. Talk ticker. Yeah. But. Well. Uh, all right, guys. Well, I'll see y'all next time on Late Night with Chefs. Thank you so much, Thank Chef you, Chris. Have a wonderful night. We really Good enjoyed night, everybody. this one. Thank you, everyone. As always, make sure to like, follow, and subscribe. Hit that notification button. And if you have any questions for Chef Chris, make sure to DM him directly or hit us up and we'll make sure to get it to him. Thank you so much and have a wonderful night.